Again, it is uh, good to be here, and in a few moments we're going to be reading a few verses from uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 3. You might turn there. Uh, I've generally been very free uh, over the years to share uh, with uh, the congregations in which uh, I have been able to serve. Um, some of the things that make me tick, um, and uh, over my ministry over 40 years of, of preaching the gospel uh, has been, I guess I would say, a New Testament ministry, because that's the era in which uh, I find myself, but with a significant Old Testament flavoring uh, associated with that. Uh, and it, some of the great focuses that that have been part of that ministry have been the cross and the empty tomb, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, um, the birth narratives and uh, the impact of the incarnation and the importance of that incarnation, which is really related to what we're going to talk about today in some uh, uh, deliberate ways, uh, and also a call of the people of God to not only understand and hear the word of the Lord, to embrace it, to believe it, to live according to it, but to persevere, to prepare for heaven uh, as we are waiting uh, for that time when we will spend eternal life in heaven with our Savior and our triune God. Um, and uh, focus has been very much on the uh, public life and ministry of Jesus, and uh, today and uh, this evening, uh, we're going to look at two things. Um, I I was at a conference years ago where I was challenged that you can do a lot with the sermon title, and uh, and and at that point I was convicted by the fact that I'm pretty much a declarative sentence kind of guy, and so today's uh, morning sermon is the baptism of Jesus. Isn't that profound? Um, um, it, it could have been, uh, I, if I was really uh, took the time to think about it, maybe shoring up the Savior, because we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, uh, some other things, although Jesus certainly, uh, in one sense, needs no shoring up. But uh, so, but uh, coming for two sermons, one of the two things I wanted to do, where I am now in my in my retirement ministry. Uh, would be, uh, first of all, to preach uh, sermons that are in and of themselves useful. And so not necessarily topical, but perhaps it would be that way, but to exposit the Word of God, not so that you will say, wow, uh, we really needed a sermon before that sermon and a sermon after, but that it, it will in and of itself stand alone. Um, so... Uh, I, I definitely wanted uh, to do that, and I said there were two things in, uh, already, and uh, my similarly, I forgot what the second one was, but we'll move on from there. But uh, today, as we look at the baptism of Jesus, well, I, I guess what I was going to say is uh, morning and evening tie together, uh, that the baptism of Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels is followed immediately by the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and that is not just a coincidental, because, well, none of the scripture is coincidental, but in, in the providence of God, it is 
it was designed that way and there's purposes of that that I hope we will be able to take a look at in these sermons. But uh, we start then first with uh, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, this event is recorded by the three synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John does not record it, and uh, it takes a little while to sit back and think as we look at the Gospel of John ex exactly where did this baptism of Christ fit in uh, to, the, to the events of the Gospel of John. And, and certainly in John chapter 1, we have John the Baptist speaking about Jesus and pointing uh, the finger to Jesus when, when Jesus uh, arrives in the vicinity and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is really as we get into uh, the latter chapters, John chapter 4, uh, that area of uh, 3 and 4, where we, we have uh, Jesus out with his disciples baptizing, and John is also baptizing. And uh, it's likely, in, in, as I put those things together, that it was in the midst of that time frame that, that and John the Baptist was still uh, free and not yet in prison, uh, that this event took place as we try to look at the chronology in the Gospel of John. So I had three choices of passages to read about this, and what I would say is Matthew has the most information and in the, the longest account of the baptism of Jesus. Uh, Mark and Luke are much shorter. Uh, Mark the shortest, and that's typical for Mark. Um, Mark also speaks about the baptism of Jesus, that uh, after uh, the events took place, uh, Jesus immediately uh, came out of the water and then uh, got on to what came next, and that Mark is a very brief in a very urgent kind of uh, account. Matthew also uses uh, the word immediately Jesus uh, came forth. And so when I, when I noticed that, I said, well, Luke must do the same thing uh, uh, if it's not a Markan thing. But, uh, and I went there and Luke didn't do it. And then uh, I wasn't going to say this because I don't want to be frivolous. But, uh, uh, and then I thought, well, Luke is a physician. And when it comes to doctors, I found that they don't do much of anything immediately. So perhaps that's why he, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there's just uh, so many people that I know that say well, I need to see the doctor but they can't see me for two months or for, but, but I digress uh, the timing of this is significant it is at the beginning of Jesus public ministry uh, in, in essence that uh, the events are very clear. Jesus is baptized in the events that happened there. Then the Spirit uh, impels him, uh, takes him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, after which he is tempted by the evil one. And then it is right after that, and again, just to, in the interest of brevity, I go to Mark chapter 1. It's really at that point when Jesus comes out of the wilderness that his public ministry begins, so that right after... Um, uh, the baptism of Jesus by Mark in verse 12 in Mark 1, he says, Immediately the Spirit impelled him, that is Jesus, to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days after being tempted by Satan. Being tempted by Satan, the after is not there. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. 
And now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and uh, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's the summary of Jesus' ministry in, in that first, verse, uh, first chapter of Mark, verses uh, 14 and 15. And so this is at the beginning of his uh, public ministry where now uh, he is going to be exposed uh, to all kinds of things, to the, uh, to the uh, adulation of the people as well as the oppression of the people in terms of giving him no time, no space, uh, no room to get away. So he has to find different ways to do that as well as the oppositions that, that come uh, as Jesus goes forth uh, in the ministry that God had given him to do. Uh, the timing is also, we're now at the, at really the transition point, and it's not one point in time, but it, it, it really starts at this point and goes on until we, we certainly get into the book of Acts, but probably it's even through the end of Acts, where we are transitioning from the people of God being Old Testament Israel to the people of God becoming the New Testament church, uh, which is made up of Jews as well as Gentiles. And it took place uh, before John was imprisoned by Herod. So I will read now uh, Luke's account in Luke chapter 3, and then we will uh, take a closer look at that. So it would help to be at the right page in chapter 3, not chapter 2. And we'll begin with verse 18. So with many other exhortations, and this is John the Baptist we're speaking about, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodotus, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Uh, we're not chronological right now because now we're going back before the time that John was imprisoned. Now, verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. When he began his ministry, so the idea of this sets him going forward, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, and then we go on to a genealogy of Jesus, the, different from the one that's given in Matthew chapter 1, but that is not today's sermon, that is another sermon. So as we look at the baptism of Jesus, uh, I've used the word significant in terms of uh, these things. It's a significant event uh, in the life of Christ. Uh, we've talked about the, uh, the recording of it, the timing of it. And uh, the other thing I'd say is he, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and that is uh, a significant thing that John was the one who uh, in the providence of God was uh, in the ordination of God to do this. Uh, there are various baptisms in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there are, are a number of washings, ceremonial washings and things that 
are, are often translated using words that could rightly be said uh, are baptisms. We have the baptism of John as he came out of the wilderness in the spirit and power of Elijah to preach to the people. Uh, that particular baptism um, is different from, from the baptism of Jesus, which is a unique event. Uh, and then also we have Christian baptism. And uh, so I, when I think of baptisms in the scripture, I usually categorize them under one of those four particular headings. The baptism of John uh, was a preparatory kind of baptism. Uh, in my thinking over the years, I've, I, when I talk about what, what was John's baptism all about, I've, uh, as preachers tend to do, I've tried, I came up with three words all beginning with the same letter uh, that relate to John's baptism. The first is penitential. It's a baptism for the uh, for repentance for the forgiveness of sins it is prophetic uh, that he is coming um, as a representative of the old testament um, uh, shedding light on the one who is to come and it is preparatory and as isaiah chapter 40 reminds us and uh, quoted in the new testament about the ministry of john the baptist he came to say prepare you for the coming of the lord and john's job was to make uh, the way straight, and even for him to do that. So the the baptism of Jesus relates to these two men, and uh, in these two men, I, I hope that we will see first of all that uh, they are representatives, the two representatives of the two covenants. John the Baptist, the Scripture says, is the last and greatest Old Testament prophet. Jesus is. Uh, coming with a prophetic ministry as well and uh, he, he John prophesied about the coming of Jesus Jesus came as the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament had to say uh, we remember in Luke uh, chapter 24 Jesus simply said that all of the Old Testament when he opened the minds of the disciples to understand the scriptures were written about me and so we sing the Psalms we we read the historical parts, prophetic parts of the Old Testament, you can't understand them without understanding uh, what they have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John was a type and shadow of the coming of uh, the Lord himself, as uh, all of the Old Testament system was, the sacrificial system and in every way. Jesus is uh, the one who came, the heavenly realities, and if you want to dig into that more, I would strongly suggest you go to the Epistle to the Hebrews, and uh, particularly started chapter 7 through chapter 10, and, and the writer lays all of those things out for us, and uh, the writer to Hebrews quotes from Psalm 40, which we just sang, which we'll make reference to here in just a little bit, and uh, the relationship of the covenants, to me, is uh, personalized, is summarized very clearly in that first chapter of John when, when here the last and greatest prophet of the Old Testament points the finger and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not only John's opinion, but that is what the whole of the Old Testament is about. So it's a significant event. And it's an event that has significant purpose, which is really at the heart of uh, what I would want to uh, declare to you in the name of the Lord today. 
if you go, each, each of the three accounts contribute to uh, the full understanding of these things. And if you go back to Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus, he tells us something that the others don't. And uh, when Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan and came to John to be baptized by him, verse 13 of, of, of Matthew 3, John tried to prevent him. The next verse says, saying, I have need to be baptized by you and you come to me. That's a really good question, uh, is that included? And that would have been the question I think all of us uh, would probably ask, what is this all about? And I, I hope we can answer some of those questions uh, this morning. So what is the purpose of the baptism of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, yet also the incarnate Messiah who comes in the flesh? And wrong purposes have been offered, and uh, I would say no to those who might say it's at this point that Jesus becomes aware of who he really is. He knew who he was when he was 12 years old. Uh, and even earlier than that, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, did he know everything uh, in, the, in the human Jesus? We have, we have to say no. He was like us in all things. And that meant he was a kid. He was a baby. He was a toddler. He was a teenager. Uh, and yet he, he lived all of that uh, life uh, without sin. And that's certainly an important part of the things we're going to say. And for those who would say, uh, and some have suggested this is even when he becomes the second person, becomes uh, divine, is uh, the conference of the Holy Spirit on him here. Scriptures don't teach any of that. Um, so we want to be clear about that. But we do need to talk about that. And, and one of the things that um, Matthew contributes to this that Mark and Luke don't uh, is when John asks that question, Jesus answers it. And he, he says that uh, it is uh, to proceed because it is uh, fitting or proper to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And uh, what did he mean by that? The, the word there, uh, I, I used in my own notes here that, that the baptism of Jesus is of divine necessity. In other words, this is something that needed and have to, to happen. What Jesus says may not uh, initially, um, you may not view it quite in that way, but um, uh, because it, it's fitting and proper. But when Jesus says something is fitting and proper is the God-man and, and the, the participation of his heavenly Father and of the Holy Spirit in these things, I think there, this is saying that God is the one who is driving this particular boat, and it is in God's plan that, John, you are to baptize me, and so let's proceed with it. And, and we, John doesn't make any other uh, uh, exception, doesn't ask any other questions, but he does proceed with that. And so, uh, so I would say, of, I'm going to give you four reasons, four purposes to the baptism of Jesus. That's the first one that it was of divine necessity, that it is part of the, the very uh, direction and plan of God that this take place. Secondly, it is an event which I would say in the scriptures is 
the inaugural event in the public ministry, the earthly ministry of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And uh, each of uh, the three gospel accounts that talk about it do, do talk about the, the fact that uh, this is how this kicks off the ministry of Jesus as uh, the Messiah. Thirdly, and uh, if you go and read commentators, they will all come to, to this. There may be some questions uh, of understanding uh, about different things. But thirdly, it is to show Jesus' vicarious identification with his people as their sin bearer. Baptisms up to this point really were reflected in John's baptism, that it's the idea of washing that was associated with it, the, the uh, washing away of sin. And uh, Jesus is the one who is going to, uh, in himself, by himself, ultimately, uh, doing that which only he could have done uh, as the incarnate second person of the Trinity. Um, as he is baptized, it is a message to us that he did take our sins upon himself, and in his shed blood, those sins have been washed away. If you but put your faith and trust in him and understand that gracious act that he did, that he alone could do, and that took place uh, many years ago and has impact on each one of you who profess the Lord Jesus Christ uh, today. Um, there's a, there's a verse that always uh, confounded me but uh, comforted me uh, that Jesus at one point of John the Baptist, when he said, what, do you, what did you go out to see later on and talks about John, he, he essentially said that uh, there's no one greater than John, but he who is in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And, and I think what he's referring to about that is once Jesus came, once Jesus accomplished what the Old Testament could only talk about as something that was yet to come, everybody else who comes after that now, in a sense, are greater than John because we have seen that which John never got to see. John's life and ministry was essentially uh, off. It was in parallel to Jesus by uh, an offset of six months. His birth was six months before Jesus. His ministry started about six months before Jesus. His death took place about six months before Jesus. And uh, uh, one of the gospel writers talks about when John was put into prison that Jesus was, was distressed by that. And certainly in the God-man, one of the reasons would have been he understood that uh, there was a six months before his day would come as well, where he would perform uh, that saving act of dying on the cross, taking away the sins of the world and understanding of the world there, uh, which can be interpreted in many senses, but in terms of uh, the world of those who belong to him from all the nations of the earth. And so... Uh, we Hebrews chapter uh, 2 and chapter 4 end with statements about Jesus and uh, the, the fact that he was like us in all things, yet without sins, and he was the perfect Savior in other things. 
the baptism is directing us to that. And then fourthly, um, I, and I've tried to decide how I would uh, word this, but I would simply uh, summarize the fourth reason for this baptism. It is, it is the Father's preparation of his only begotten and beloved Son for his earthly ministry. Um, the, the, the formulary in the Lord's Supper, uh, which I was introduced to many, many years ago in the new uh, book of Directory of Worship, has made some changes, but, but, but this is not one of them that has changed in my mind, is uh, that there, there are sacramental acts that are done. The Lord took bread in the cup. We understand these to be sacramental acts of the taking into union with his divine person in human nature. And then uh, the Lord, uh, after taking these elements, he, he prayed. He, he looked up to heaven. And uh, we understand that there's a sacramental act uh, in that as well. And it has to do with consecration. And, and the wording that, that, that I was taught many years ago was, it is a, a symbol of the taking of the human nature into union with his divine person, the, the mystery of the incarnation. And uh, that so... And that brings us to, to the baptism of Christ. And, and I've always viewed that idea that God is consecrating Jesus at this point. Jesus is the one who will give the Holy Spirit without measure. He is the one who uh, quoted these words, and you can tell me where it's from, or you can think of it before I tell you where it's from. Words that belong to Jesus himself. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's from Isaiah chapter 61. And uh, the Gospels re record when Jesus went into the synagogue in his earthly ministry, he was handed a scroll, was given the courtesy, uh, being understood as a rabbi to read. And that was, uh, he read the first couple of verses of Isaiah chapter 61. And then he stopped. And he rolled up the scroll, the scroll and he handed it back. And do you remember what he said? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And uh, the ba his baptism is God's way of uh, anointing. And we're talking now about the, the human nature of Jesus. He, he didn't need some of the things that God provided at this point. But God knew, as did his son, that his earthly ministry as the incarnate God-man, as the Messiah, would be as the servant of the Lord, but it would also be as the suffering servant of the Lord. As a human, like us in all things, as a prophet, a priest, and a king, uh, and we're not just talking about his divine uh, person in that regard, but uh, in his uh, Messiah role. He is the son of David. He is uh, the Messiah that will reign over God's kingdom forever and ever. 
And so the Lord God is strengthening his son for this. Now that raises the most difficult question that, and you might be saying, do you have an answer? And I'm going to say no, uh, at least uh, not to the point that I would like to have an answer. And that is the question of, as Jesus went forth into this ministry, where a ministry in which he would be ridiculed, he would be mocked, he would be, uh, there would be attempts on his life, there would be uh, all of the agonies that he went through, starting in Gethsemane and ending uh, on the cross, and all of those things. Uh, the question comes, could Jesus sin? And uh, the answer seems to be obviously no, but if he can't, then how can he be like all of us in all things? And so I can't answer that question, but what, what I want us to see is I want you to step aside and think about the human nature of Jesus at this point. Uh, as a man, he is going to undergo all kinds of things and uh, this act of God at this baptism is in the, the giving of the Spirit to him without measure uh, and, and all those things. It was no doubt uh, shoring him up. That's why I said that sermon title later for what he, uh, the God-man, was going to face so that he might uh, be able to withstand. And will he withstand? We know the answer is yes. And we're going to talk about that tonight when we get to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And so uh, the purposes were, first of all, of divine necessity. It was the thing that God ordained uh, take place. It was the way that the earthly ministry of Jesus, the Messiah, uh, both in his divine person and in his human nature, uh, was uh, initiated it was the way in which we see his uh, uh, vicarious, that's the idea of substitutionary thing, that he took our sins upon himself and the baptism uh, says that it's going to be in him that as, when his sins are washed away, I, this is my words and I don't want to, you know, whether Calvin and others might say it this way, but uh, when his sins were washed away, they weren't his sins, they were our sins that were uh, uh, sacramentally washed away. Uh, in anticipation of the work that he uh, had come to do. And it was his heavenly father's love for him uh, that was uh, sh shoring him up and preparing him for the cost that he was going to pay that we might be saved. In the baptism of Jesus, we have uh, uh, thirdly significant participants and significant results. Uh, the two major participants, John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ, and we've already talked about those things. John's purpose was to make him known as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, a, a big question is the people. And uh, there's a question that's been debated uh, as you look at all these accounts. Were there other people around? Who was there when Jesus was baptized? And the accounts really don't give us any definitive information. John's Gospel talks about Jesus being out and baptizing, although later on in that same verse, he says, well, it wasn't Jesus wasn't actually baptizing, but his disciples were. And John was baptizing, and, and in that setting, I have no doubt, although I cannot point to a particular verse in these three accounts that would say that uh, the, the disciples were there, 
that people were there, that this was a public event. So it wasn't only John the Baptist who heard the voice come out of heaven and saw what happened there. But again, I, I, I just simply say that that is a, a matter subject to debate, but uh, it certainly, uh, to me, uh, makes sense that this was a public event that, uh, so that those four reasons were ones that actually had direct impact upon those who were there to see and hear the things that happened. And uh, we have the heavens opened. And uh, it's not often in, in the scriptures that it talks about the heavens being opened. Uh, other than this, uh, the only other passages outside of this that I found were uh, John one fifty one where Jesus says, you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God uh, ministering to the Son of Man. Uh, and also in Acts 8.56, uh, Stephen, at the, just before he is executed, uh, he says, I see the, the heavens opened and I see Jesus. And then uh, he was killed. That's a significant event. Um, and the only other event like this in some ways, uh, in the New Testament, uh, like the baptism, is the transfiguration. That, but even in the transfiguration, it doesn't say the heavens were opened. Uh, but it does talk about the Lord, the Father speaking and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's likely what he said. Two of the gospel accounts uh, only have part of that, but just because they only have part of what Jesus said doesn't mean uh, anything. Just that it was the Spirit moved them to record that in the way in which they did. But we have the Spirit. We have the Trinity there. I think we all can see that. The Spirit, and Luke alone says he was in bodily form. Uh, and uh, that's a significant thing, but his bodily form wasn't in any sense like Jesus. Uh, who came in the flesh, uh, but it was like a dove. And uh, there are two words in the scripture to me that uh, that the dove uh, metaphor or whatever we're supposed to call it, I'm not an English teacher, I hope I got that right. Um, the picture, uh, the first is reconciliation and the second is peace. And uh, the idea of that, especially a dove associated with water, uh, there are two other passages uh, that I, uh, I have looked to and said, I think there's a similar message here. The first is in Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. And the second is uh, after the flood, before the uh, Waters receded. How did Moses know when it was time to leave the ark? Well, first thing he did was uh, send a bird out, a raven. And the raven came back and said, well, I guess it's not time. And then later, secondly, it says he sent out a dove. And the dove came back. Um, well, I guess we have to wait a little, long, a little longer. And then he sends out a dove again. And the dove comes back with a with an olive branch, I think, is uh, in its mouth. And at that point, uh, 
Noah. Did I say Moses in any of that? Because I have that in my head, so that can't be right. Uh, Noah uh, then uh, sends out the dove, and finally the dove doesn't come back. And uh, there's just a picture. The waters are starting to recede. Judgment has happened, and now uh, we have really at the time of the flood a new creation, a a, uh, redo. Uh, There are really no redos, but if there's a redo in the Bible, God, in essence, through Noah and his family, started over with the same promises given to them that had been given to Adam and Eve but with one difference, a promise that uh, what they just underwent would never, ever happen again until the end of the world itself. And so uh, the spirit here over the waters at the Jordan where Jesus was, uh, uh, just here is the Prince of Peace. Here is the one whose ministry will ultimately bring reconciliation between God and those who belong to him. And now... He is going to go forth and accomplish what is necessary for that to take place. And then what follows? Well, as I already said earlier, what follows is the Spirit himself identified in Matthew 4.1 and Mark 1.12 and in Luke 4.1 takes Jesus and leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, which is Uh, another sermon, but it is one that's on the schedule for this evening. And so in closing, applications for us, I, I would suggest, first of all, in God's plan, this is a way to introduce Jesus to the world as God's qualified Savior, the one that he has sent into the world to save his people from their sins, Uh, This baptism is ushering in a new age, the age of the new covenant. Uh, When does that, you know, I talked about there's a transition period, but when was actually the split between old and new done? And and, and I've often thought it was at the Lord's Supper uh, when Jesus uh, gave the bread and the cup, and then he went out with his disciples and they sang from a psalm, and, and I think of the, that would have been in the 118th psalm, and, and uh, I, I view that as the first uh, praise of the New Testament age. Uh, I may be right or wrong at that. I just throw things out like that so you can think about them, and you can say, well, he he's, he's, uh, doesn't get it or not. Uh, it is a new creation uh, that Jesus brings uh, the Apostle Paul says that at the, in Galatians chapter 6 at the, the end of that blessed uh, letter. And for each one of us, it is a reminder that God overlooked nothing. Uh, God had a plan in view that started at the very foundation, from before the foundation of the world, but certainly was cemented for us in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when he talked about there would be a seed of a woman who would come and would set right all that went wrong uh, when Adam and Eve fell into sin. And uh, we understand that that is uh, often called the Proto-Euangelion or the first mentioning of the gospel in the scriptures, Genesis 3.15. And uh, this is just part of that plan being uh, continuing to be worked out. And now 
the rest of the Gospels uh, are uh, New Testament uh, oriented and uh, giving us that understanding that we look back on now, unlike John who could only look forward but, but couldn't say truly God has done this other than by faith in what he would yet do. But we today still preach to others and preach to our children to hear and understand these things. Uh, that God's plan is still working. Every promise he has ever made, he is faithful to. Some of them are yet uh, to be fulfilled in our minds. But we need to go forth and to proclaim this Jesus to a needy world. Um, and in whom his heavenly father was so well pleased. I said I was going to say something about the 40th Psalm, and I neglected to do that. But the words that we sang today in Hebrews chapter 10 are quoted, a portion of it as belonging to Jesus himself. And the message in Hebrews 10, in the middle of Hebrews 10, was one that I've only seen in recent years. It took me a long time, but it talks about Jesus being the perfect uh, Lamb of God, uh, the one who uh, offered a sacrifice of himself once for all, which uh, was the only sacrifice acceptable to God. But the writer to Hebrews quotes from Psalm 40, um, in a sense, to set it, to get my mind straight, and I hope yours as well. Uh, but uh, the quote is God really doesn't. Sacrifices and burnt offerings uh, you have not desired. The idea is we think of Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, and that's all true. But what was it in Jesus that when God looked at this this God man now who was would be baptized um, that set him apart? And Hebrews ten tells us really, even more importantly, not from a negative side, in in the sense that he didn't commit any sins, but in the positive side, what did he do? Jesus alone, of all men and women ever born uh, of a woman in the world, is the only one who ever totally was devoted to his Father, totally and without reservation, without compromise. Uh, he loved and he served the Lord, and it was that uh, devotion and commitment, first of all, that made him qualified to be our savior but second of all it was acceptable to god he uh here was the one who alone god was well pleased with to the point that uh, he equipped him and supported him as he came to do the work that he had committed to do let's pray father in heaven thank you for the lord jesus christ thank you that every passage that we look at that is about him has nuggets of truth for us that remind us of the important things and remind us of just who this God-man was. Very God of very God, and yet truly man as well. And of the work that he did, giving his life freely and with love toward us, his people, that we might be saved. To him be the glory. May the same spirit that guided and directed him through the struggles of daily life in a fallen world be there for us as well. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.